It was a typical Tuesday morning at the Calamesa Church in the late fall, where the pastoral staff was gathered in the office off to the side of the platform here. As we do every Tuesday, about noon, we are finished with our meeting. It was at that point that Pastor Isaac asked an innocent and unassuming question when he said, well, is it that we want everybody in the whole world to become Adventist Christians? Is that our goal? And Pastor Larry sat up a little taller around the table. And then Isaac said something like, is it that we have to have all of the money coming into the Adventist bank? Or can some of our money go to other good projects? I think it was at that point that uh, Larry leaned in and Pastor Carl, who joins us also, brought his finger up. Two gentlemen who've lived their entire lives working for the church. And I think, Pastor Carl, if I'm right, you even said, young man. <laughs> we didn't go anywhere for one hour. As Isaac, the young man, engaged our two older pastors in an incredible conversation. I'm sure people are having these kinds of conversations. We're having them in our own corners but I'm not sure we're having them together. For the month of January and February, we've been talking about what is it to live with God as our only audience, that God is the judge of everything we do and that it is in response to God's love that I live my life. What happens when other people get in the way of how I choose to live my life? What happens when my convictions are not the same as your convictions? And what happens when it, it, that takes place right here? in the church body. So it is we have our younger, youngest pastor, Isaac Kim, who's still in the 30 and under crowd, but soon he'll be relegated to irrelevance <laughs> when he turns 30. And over here, Pastor Larry, an, one of our older pastors, who's given more than 40 years of his life in denominational work in this country, abroad, as an administrator, a conference president. He's seen the spreadsheets. He sat in the closed door sessions. And we ask ourselves, when we look at these two, what does it mean to live together? Both committed Christians, both committed to Adventist Christianity, both pastors, both take their pay from the same denomination, both raised in the westernized world, don't let the name Kim fool you, both with Western world perspective, what separates these two gentlemen? About 50 years. About 50 years. Now listen to their conversation and listen to their assumptions perhaps. Listen to them expand their vision and their ideas and watch for the God and the one spirit who we hope is in us all. I don't know why I feel the need to say, gentlemen, Good luck. <laughs> Easy for you to say. Pastor Isaac in his corner, me in mine. Is your microphone on? Sounds like I'm not hooked up here. While you're turning that on, I want to just... See, he really takes advantage of the time. I know. <laughs> you have to get every word in edgewise here. Um, I just want to pick up where Chris left off. 
it, it was a very um, open and honest conversation that we had, and I didn't think that we'd end up here having a, a portion of that conversation here. Um, but as we reflected, and as, as the three of us reflected with, with Chris and Larry with you, I realized, that, or we all realized, that there were certain things that we could learn and certain things about our pastoral staff here as well as our community here. And it's kind of on the, on the screen. Um, we're part of a shared community. It's part of a community we share life together. We share goals. We share uh, common values. We share our own experiences. We share our opinions. Our opinions. And most of all, we share intimacy as a family of God. Right. And that can only happen when we give. And that's the framework that we want to start our conversation this morning in. And if it's okay with you, I think we should jump right in. Well, let's jump right in. I'm ready. All right. Let's talk about our organization. I may uh, lose the argument, but we can talk about it. Oh, there's no winning or losing here. <laughs> we all win together um, if we do it in a common shared spirit. Um, let's see. I have to have notes. You do too, right? And I think the first thing that we wanted to talk about was our organization and our finances as, as a world church. Yeah. Good thing to talk about. Yeah. The um, most sensitive nerve in the human body is the pocketbook. I end. understand that. <laughs> I understand that very well. Um, the way our world church is organized, we have our local congregation here in Calamasa, and then we have a, a local conference for us, it happens to be right. down in Riverside, mm -hmm. um, and for us, it happens to be southeastern California. And then we have a regional conference uh, known as a union. Mm -hmm. And then we have a world region conference known as a division. division. And then we have our big governing body known as a general conference. Is right. that correct? That's correct. Now, do we need that many layers of organization? Do we need that many layers? Yeah. How could you question that? I just did. <laughs> it's a logical question. All right. And we need to talk about it. The reason why we have the various levels of organization is because we are no longer an insignificant uh, body of people. We are now uh, closing 20,000, uh, 20 million. And uh, in order to keep this thing coordinated, we need these various levels. For us to try to be independent and um, attempt to achieve our ultimate goal, which is the gospel to the world, we need the various levels of expertise in order to keep things coordinated. And that's the reason for the various levels. Um, sure. Without that, we become scattered. Right. And uh, for us to be able to efficiently administer the work throughout the world and to reach all the countries of the world, third world and whatever. Uh, we need the various levels in order to keep things coordinated. What happens when people um, no longer see the value of the organization yeah. as it's Good. created? Oh, because the organization is founded for the people. Yeah. The people aren't there to make sure the organization exists, uh -huh. right? So if we come from that framework, and we don't say that we have to plug in people into the organization, but rather the organizational leaders should be there to serve and carry out the, the will and the purpose of the people, we have all this money going from our local conference and tithes and offerings all the way up 
right. right? And we have numbers here. Um, about $58 out of every $100, or 58 cents out of every dollar, um, stays locally in our conference, yeah. helps pay for my salary and the other pastor's salaries, mm-hmm. helps pay for your retirement pension. Right, for which um, I'm grateful. Yes, and we, hook, we, we would love to give you more, but we can't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and then portions of that, the rest of it goes up. It goes up to the union, and it goes up to the vision, and it goes up to the general conference, right, to carry out the mission not only here, but around the world. Okay. Except one thing. They tell us they give us money back, and more than 58 cents out of every dollar stays here, which, if you look at the numbers, seems to be correct. What they don't tell you is that when it goes up to them, they can use it however their committee see fit. When it comes back down to us, whether it's to our local conference or to our local church, it's restricted. You have to apply for it, you have to submit for it, and if it's not in line with what they envision for the money, then you don't get it. Isn't there a problem with that? Well, apparently you've got a problem. I sure do. (laughs) I absolutely do. Okay, Isaac. um, We have... Let's look at it this way. You and I recognize that part of Christian life is giving. Giving of our talents, giving of our funds. We elect people to manage these funds. And um, hopefully we trust these people They're uh, God-dedicated people to the cause uh, of finishing the work. And to answer your question, at least from my point of view, and uh, I'm the older set, of course, but from my point of view, the reason why there are restrictions coming back down is that congregations can be tempted if church budget is not where it ought to be We'll take that money and we'll slip it into the church budget. Or we're behind in our school subsidies, so we'll take that money uh, that is given to us and uh, to use, and then we'll slip it into the, to the uh, academy or elementary school. The reason why we do have people that, I don't use the word dictate, that's the wrong word. Uh, in, you, in your view, it may be dictation. <laughs> but. We have the restrictions because we want to be sure that good judgment is used with that money so that it can further the cause of God and the earth. And so we want them not to control but to advise. Hmm. And uh, I recognize that you're looking at dictation, but we're not dictators. We are distributors of funds in the best way possible, having selected these people with good judgment to help us with that. You use the word advise, but if I don't follow your advice, I don't get the money. All right. Right? Well, so? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was my money to begin with. No, it's not your money to begin with. Well, it was this congregation's money to begin with, was it not? It's God's money. Okay, Okay. so then we're we're looking at an organized body of people, and we're looking at committees that assign money. There's wisdom in numbers, I I agree with that. Um, 
can't the wisdom in numbers be locally? Where? Where? Locally. Can't, can't our church board, our board, our, our elders, mm-hmm. our pastoral staff dictate how the money should be used here? Because somebody down in Riverside, somebody in Northern California, somebody across the country in Washington, D.C., is not going to know the individual specific needs of my church here. And if, if my needs doesn't fit what the higher-up organizations say that I advise that I need to, to use, then I don't get any of my money back or mm-hmm. our money back. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to give it back to us, why take it in the first place? The reason that, at least from my point of view, mm-hmm. which may not be your point of view, but my point of view is that we elect people to see that money is used in a way that would be the most uh, efficient and the greater glorification for God's cause. I agree. And we elect these people to use that judgment. Now, you may not always agree with that, and I recognize there are restrictions, but please recognize that if you are denied uh, your request, sure. it's because they're looking at the broader view. Okay. Um, you talked about leadership. In my generation, whether it's in business or whether it's in government or whether it's in church, there's a, I don't want to use the word distrust because I think that's too harsh. The word what? I don't want to use the word distrust. See, who are, those of us who are older, we don't hear well, so. Okay. <laughs> I want to use the word suspicion. Oh. There's a word, there's a how suspicion. How use that word, suspicion? Very you don't easily. trust us? No. I'm just suspicious. Wow. <laughs> All right, continue. Okay. So if there's this general suspicion of organizations and its leadership, and we are going to be a church body that moves forward with my generation as the future leaders, yeah. and then those younger than us as future leaders, how do we address that issue? Well, I think, first of all, we need to be informed, okay? okay? Uh, we, have, um, we have the internet in our computers. We have uh, Mission Spotlight. We have Adventist Review. We have Pacific Union Recorder uh, reporting on the progress of work as a whole, okay? And um, we must be fully informed. I think that's why people are suspicious, Isaac, is because they are not informed. And so as members of the church, we need to be informed as to the progress of the work and how things are being handled. I wish that it were possible for a a congregation at times to listen to the conversation of leadership where it comes thinking of um, God's work. They are people who have the greatest desire that our funds be used for the glorification of God. Absolutely. And um, suspicion is generally uh, comes about by a lack of information. Now, I think it's partially the fault of those of us who are older that we have not communicated to the younger set what's happening, the exciting things that are happening in the world, Uh, whether it's education or whether it's evangelism or whatever it is. When we become thoroughly informed, 
then that suspicion, I think, will go away. Okay. You, you brought up evangelism, and yeah. let's, let's move into that topic okay. for a second. Who is it that we are supposed to evangelize? What, what's our target group? When we do evangelism, when we do missions, what is our goal? Our goal is to introduce people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Which people? People? Which people? People of the world. Of the world. Can I share with you my honest perspective of sure. the church that I love and I belong to? As long as you're honest, it's okay. I'm honest. Don't worry. I may not have a job after this, but I'll be honest. Okay, okay. Um, well, I might report you to the conference. Okay. Um, it's been my observations that when the Adventist church wants to do evangelism, okay. wants to do mission work, mm-hmm. our viewpoint is to make sure that everybody understands the truth that we hold as Adventist. That is correct. It's not enough that somebody is a Christian of another denomination. If you're a Baptist, if you're a Methodist, we still want to make sure that you understand the complete truth that the Adventist church holds. All right. Is it okay for us to work with them rather than try to convert them to make sure that those that do not know the love of God, the love of Christ, experience that, and then worry about the conversion into the complete truth as a secondary issue. Are you telling me that once a person accepts the Lord that they should be baptized immediately? If they so choose, why not? If they so choose, why not? I'll tell you why not. Okay. (laughs) At least from my perspective, okay? (laughs) Come on, Mark. You want to come up here? (laughs) (laughs) Pastor Isaac, it's only fair, whether he be Baptist or whether he be non-churched at all, Mm -hmm. it's only fair that when a person uh, accepts the Lord Jesus Christ, that he knows in its fullness what it is to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. So I think it's only fair to that individual that he be introduced to the Adventist church. You see, we're not a Protestant denomination. Technically, we are not a Protestant denomination. We came and developed out of Bible prophecy, okay? And Revelation chapter 12, chapter 14 are vital Uh, to the understanding of a person who has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And I think they need to understand what they're getting into when they become a Seventh-day Adventist. Now, I want to jump to this so you don't catch me first, and that is (laughs) that we grow spiritually after baptism. You can't take away my argument now. What? You can't take away my argument. I can't take away your argument? Yeah. Your argument is still there, you say. Okay. <laughs> but I still feel that it's only fair to the individual uh, so, that he understand uh, what it is to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sure. Being a follower of Jesus Christ, like you said, is a process. Yeah, it is a process. I agree with you. I tend to agree with you somewhat, okay? Okay. At, at what point in our process, in one's individual journey then, are they qualified, for lack of better words, to be baptized? When they understand fully biblical prophecy 
and uh, the urgent, uh, the urgency of the nearness of Christ's coming and how we're trying to reach the world with the three angels' messages. That is vital. Okay. Beyond that point, we all grow. All right. I'm still growing, although I'm an old man. Yeah. I'm still growing. And we're still growing, too. You know, I'm thankful, too, that the, the pastor used the word older. I don't like this word oldest. The geriatric, you know, nomenclature says that when you get to be 80, you're elderly. But she used the word older, which I appreciate. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I want to touch on one more thing in yes. this area. Is there room outside of Adventism in the kingdom of God? Absolutely. I have to agree with you. Uh, wait a minute. I have to answer your question. <laughs> and that is that uh, there are many, many wonderful Christians in other denominations who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and access to salvation the same as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Okay. I can agree with that. You can agree with that. I can agree with that. <laughs> you know, this next topic we're going to go into, because we're getting short on time here, uh -oh. is, is something that we might need to get a little bit closer for, uh -huh. just well, to show we them that get we're okay. Just a little closer together here. We want to talk okay. about something that, that Pastor Chris, maybe we can't get too close. The speakers oh, won't yeah, like yeah, us. Yeah. <laughs> there um, may be some division I here. know. Last week and in the previous couple of weeks, we've been looking at worship. Yeah. Am I ringing? Yeah. We've been looking at worship. And a big part of worship for us in our culture is music. And I know that you have very strong feelings about this. And I know I do too. So why don't you start? <laughs> Are you really going to have the courage to open this subject up? I am. Okay, well, let's go for it. What about music? You know, Isaac, you have what you call here sometimes 7-Eleven songs. Seven songs we sing 11 times. <laughs> okay. I, have a, I have a tough time with this, Isaac. Why is that? What? Why is that? Why is that? Yeah. Well, maybe it's my age. Um, I just feel I don't there are times when I've come to this church and sat here and listened to some of the music, I was not inspired. In fact, it troubled me to the point that it was hard to concentrate on the sermon. I'm, you opened it up, I'm telling you my feelings, okay? What about it? What about it? What about it? What about the music made it difficult for you to worship and distracted you from the sermon? Yeah, I think it's because we have spent, at times at least, Come on. Don't misunderstand. This is a safe me. place. If you can't say this at church, what? you can't say it anywhere. That's right. So you've got to say I it. I want to get it at church. Right. I come here to worship God, right? Right. But the thing that's disturbed me is when we have sometimes 15 minutes, it had, the extreme would be 20, but we've had choruses that I... I don't have any music in my bones. But anyway, <laughs> you sing these choruses and I don't know. I'm having a hard time catching on to the melody, and by the time I catch on to the melody, you've gone to another one, and another one, and another one, and I haven't been able to participate, and that bothers me. I can understand okay? that. I can understand that. But on the is other there... hand, okay, go ahead. On the other hand, I appreciate 
the hymns that we have, and we have some wonderful hymns in our book, you know, and they have wonderful history behind them. I wouldn't want, to, I don't mind singing choruses, but give me a chorus that I can learn and appreciate being able to participate in the worship service. This is my, one of my things that bothers me. Okay, I can understand that. Because there are some times when I look up on the screen or look in my hymnal, there are hymns that I have no clue. Yeah. And I've grown up in this church. Yeah. Okay. I have no clue. Right. Here's a problem that I see. Okay. I think for, and this is my observation and my assumption, and I may be totally I wrong. That. And if I am wrong, then please don't come up to me all well, at I'll once. I'll be the first to tell Filter you. it through Larry. Um, <laughs> if I am wrong, then just let me know. It's my perception that the older crowd. Or Thanks the, for the using the word older. Hey, if there's anything I've learned in four, four and a half years of being here, okay. it's older and oh. younger. All I've right. learned that. You taught me well. Yeah. So um, in the, there's this perception, I think, Whoa. that there's a right form of music and a wrong form of music okay. that the older generation holds. Whereas the younger generation can appreciate and value the spectrum. We have a preference, there's no doubt. And there's a difference in preference even among the younger crowds where some of us prefer singing hymns, others of us prefer the more modern stuff. I have a personal theory on this, that somewhere along the line when you're 20 or 30 or somewhere in there where you're a young adult, whatever was contemporary for you then is what you're really comfortable with. And as you get that's older, right. yeah. that's where it stays. Yes. I'm pretty sure that the Psalms that we read and sing sometimes in the scriptures from a couple thousand years ago mm-hmm. are inspired. Oh, I believe that. I'm pretty sure that this, the hymns that we read, sing in the hymnals from 50 to a couple hundred years ago were inspired. Mozart is what, 250 years ago now? That was inspired. I was blessed this morning. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that the songs that were written yesterday can also still be inspired. And I see from my generation the willingness where we practice and we learn the hymns and the older songs. I don't see that from the older generation where they are willing to sit down, put in a tape, put in a CD, look at some sheet music, and try to learn the newer songs. Well, Isaac, let me just give you my feelings here. We who are older, I recognize, have a hard time with change. You'll find that with older people, that it's very difficult for them to make a change. For younger people, too. Uh, Not so. Not so. No, I think young people are much more adaptable than older people are. The older we get, the more uh, we have have a hard time with change. It's true that younger people at times struggle with that. But I would hope that in this congregation, that we could be charitable toward each other. Absolutely. It's like, uh, can I use this illustration? When 
a couple, married couple, get in an argument. And of course, if somebody says that they never argued with their wife in the last 20 years, you better look out. If they lie about that, they'll lie about anything. <laughs> but in a conversation where there's arguing going on between two people and it's heated, the thing you find is that one party does not listen to the other party at all. What'd you say? They're busy while that, <laughs> while that person is explaining, expl expressing their feelings. The other person is not listening to that at all. He's busy getting his next defense ready to let go when that person catches their breath or his breath, whatever it is, her or his. What we have to do and what that married couple has to do is to listen to each other. Sure. We need to do that. Now, I think that is applicable as far as music in this church is concerned. I feel the same way. Yeah. We must listen. I must listen to you. And I to you. And you to me. Right. But somehow, we have to uh, adjust to the point where we can agree to uh, work together uh, in common worship and really praise the Lord in a service. Sure. Well, I have to listen to you right. as to what you want to hear. Right. And you listen, I hope, to me and what I want to hear. Sure. And there is a blend, I believe, that we can have in a congregation right. and um, worship God and walk out feeling that we've had a little contact with God through sure. music. Yeah. Sure. And I think that it happens here to a good extent, week to week, or even during a service, where we get a, a blend. Um, I was talking with a young adult in between services, talking about, um, about special music. Mm -hmm. I know that's a hot topic issue in, in, in our worship team circles right yes. now. Um, we had special music today. Did you see it? And I wonder if our definitions of special music are different. Yes. You think so? I think they are. What would your definition of special music be? A song or a chorus that lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and Redeemer. Okay. Am I wrong? I don't know. If it's your opinion, I guess not. Well, I could be, I could be wrong. I've been right. wrong before. Right. Um, what, is your, what is your definition? I think a special music number or a selection right. is something where the entire congregation is not, I don't want to use the word, is not actively vocally participating. Where somebody is sharing their inspiration, their God-given talents with all of us so that we can meditate and be involved in something where we may not have to sing along with them. I guess we could in our, in our seats, but we don't have to. And I think that happens a lot more often than we're accustomed, that we think it does. Um, and I think that's about all I have to say about that. The words uh, are important. Okay. I, the people who have come to me in criticism of chorus, of the too many choruses, <clears throat> and I think there have been too many at times, but I think I tell these people, the older people in my generation, shall we say, Listen to the words. Listen to those words. Sure. Maybe you don't know the melody, but you can learn it, I hope. 
but I hope you listen to the words that are in those choruses. Sure. I think that's very important. That's part of worship. Sure. Yeah. And in special music, I think a person uh, in his heart is, share, is being shared with concerning some spiritual theme in special music. But the congregation also needs to participate in Absolutely. singing, I think, whether it's a chorus or a hymn. Absolutely. Absolutely. There were some quotes that we wanted to share. We're out Please. of time here. And yes. you had a quote. I have. Um, do you want to share it with the congregation? Well. From, uh, from uh, what was her name? Uh, Secretary Rice? You had yes, a quote. I think she uh, made a very fine statement the other day. Uh, she was visiting with uh, the Prime Minister of Egypt, and she made a statement that stuck in my head, and it was this. Friends can candidly speak with each other. And we are friends. And we are friends. Right. Sure we are. And we've we, had some candid conversations this morning. We may have some opposition in our thinking, but that doesn't mean we aren't friends. That's right. Right. I had a quote from, um, from another political figure, actually, from the State of the Union address this year, where I said, even tough debates, and these issues are tough for us as we, as we move forward, even tough debates can be conducted in a civil tone. Good. And our differences cannot be allowed to harden into anger. That's wonderful. And um, I hope that we can continue to have, these, to have these conversations in the future. Well, I think we should keep it in the open uh, and talk to each other. Uh, I definitely think that. Benjamin Franklin once said, if we don't hang together, we'll hang separately. <laughs> and uh, so I want to do that. You had a text for us as we oh, close I have this a morning? Text. I want to come over and sit by you. All right. Even though you're funny, sometimes have funny thinking, I, I still know. love you. I know. I'm just young and immature. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to, uh, I got to figure this chair out. I'm having trouble. But Isaac, I'd like to read to you from Romans chapter 15, and then maybe you have one that you'd want to okay. say too. But uh, the Apostle Paul, I think, is making sense here. Notice what he says. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to, the Christ, to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I have one from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, where it says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, right, Chris? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Amen. Praise the Lord. And let's unite our voices as we sing, We Are One in the Spirit. And the congregation, please stand.
My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are one in me, and I am in you. Amen. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we come before you today in worship and we thank you for your love. Dear Lord, we'd like to answer that prayer that Jesus prayed just before he died, that we all might be one that the world may know that you are indeed the Lord and Savior. Now may your sweet spirit that has been in this auditorium today, may that sweet spirit be in our hearts as we leave this place. May we be close to you. And dear Lord, come soon that we might be in heaven together. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.